I was converted at the age of 17 and started attending an Alliance church in Campbell, Pennsylvania. And uh, we were between pastors. And uh, we were told to make the new pastor, when he came, feel really welcome to uh, sit near the front. So, as Joe Petchy would say, all the Utes, all the Utes came up and row two. And at that time, I was a Ute. And so, I, I was going to ask you to keep working and coming up front, and you got to jump on me. So you're working your way toward the front. I know you want to space out. We have a spaced out congregation. How's that? <laughs> um, anyway, keep your spacing, but move into the front. By the time the new guy comes, uh, you'll be up here, and he'll know you love him and appreciate him. Man once told his son that if he looked for wisdom and knowledge and treated it like a treasure, that, that in the end, if he pursued wisdom and knowledge like a treasure, he would come to understand and know God. Now that's kind of a paraphrase of Psalm 2, verses 1 through 5. The bottom line is, if you look hard enough and long enough, and, and with enough thoroughness, whatever field you're in, you'll come to God. If he is the maker of everything, and he is, if what field you're in, it doesn't matter whether it's medicine, or education, or science, or athletics, or music, any field of study, you work with thoroughness on it, will end up with an experience of God because as the maker, you will meet the maker of what you're working on. Proverbs chapter 9 says essentially the same thing, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and understanding. And it's fear of the Lord, not fear of the consequences, but fear and respect to him. It's not fearing what he could do to us, fearing him as a person and respecting him, it will bring a starting point for a life of knowledge and wisdom. Now, Moses experienced it as it's recorded in Exodus 3. gives us seven disclosures about the person of God, about who he is. And we've already talked about God's clock, the way God times things, way he lays out his calendar and executes his plan is very different than ours. He has a different way of keeping time. That Moses had three periods in his life, 40 years in Egypt to learn the things he needed to know about management and government, uh, 40 years in the wilderness caring for sheep because he needed to care for the people of God like they were sheep. They're the, sheep, they're the Lord's sheep. We're the Lord's sheep. He'd care for us this way and then uh, 40 years in the wilderness wandering. That, doesn't, that wouldn't please a human resources person today <laughs> who was looking for somebody to do a job, but that's, that's how God did it. And we need to be acclimated to his way of keeping time. The second disclosure was about God's house. For 40 years, um, Moses ran around Midian, named his first son Gershom, 
means I'm a stranger in a strange land. And I think Moses was a lonely man away from his people. And uh, time came when God spoke to him out of the bush. He wasn't alone at all, all that time. As the song says, he was there all the time. The Lord was there all the time. Now, uh, these are two very, very important concepts in, in our understanding of God. So just like you have a physical every year, maybe you have a physical every year, you go to your doctor, he gives you a printout about your blood pressure and your weight and all this stuff. Uh, let's say you called your pastor and you wanted a spiritual. And so we arrange a time to have a spiritual. And you go into the office and he says, I'll lay down on the couch and take your shoe off, take your sock off, puts a needle in your foot, and uh, he hooks hooks this lead onto the what would be the acupuncture meridian point, hooks this onto onto the foot, takes a lead, and uh, puts one of these leads on his Bible at Exodus 3, and then there's a, there's a sensor on the chest near the heart, and puts this other lead on that. This is an illustration. I don't literally do this. <laughs> this is an illustration. <laughs> you... <laughs> My wife tells me, every time I do something like this, Make sure they know this is an illustration. So I get them all hooked up, and I say, do you know and understand that God has a clock that's different than ours? Do you believe that God has perfect timing for what he does? And do you do, do you, does this affect your behavior in, in how you think about the things that happen and the course of your life and the decisions you make, you make. And I get answers to these. And then I pull the trigger, and if the light lights, they know and understand this, they believe this, and they're practicing this. We go to the next one. Do you know and understand that God is present with you? wherever you are and whatever you're doing. And do you believe this? And does this does his presence affect in the doing of it your your behavior and how you live? Get the answers. Pull the trigger, if I get a light, they're on track. If I pull the trigger and I get no light, they have a deficit in the area of the presence of God. If I pull the trigger on the clock thing and I get no response, they have a deficit in the area of understanding the timing of God. Now this is the end of the illustration. That was an illustration. It would be nice if we had something like that, but we don't. Those kinds of things have to be appraised as we reflect before the Lord in prayer, 
as we interact with people who really know us. And so there are ways of getting a spiritual, like you get a physical. But we can't be hooked up to some device that gives us the response that would make getting a spiritual uh, much more easy to achieve. In Exodus 3.2, we move on now to the third disclosure that Moses had at the burning bush. The angel appears uh, in, a, in a bush burning with fire. It's burning, but it's not consumed. In verse 3, it says, Moses said to himself, I'm going to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I'm going to see the great sight, why the bush is not burned. The glory of God has been a theme throughout the writing of uh, Christian people ages on end. Dr. Tozer wrote extensively about the glory of God, the person of God. Years ago at annual council, our president for our denomination preached on the glory of God, Dr. Paul Bubna. And old people, that would be me and other old folks, refer to that council as the glory council. It was, it was um, a watershed moment for many, many people, the things that were articulated and identified in our annual gathering. It was indeed the uh, Glory Council. From 2001 to 2020, or 2003 to 2020, I drove truck during the week and I preached in different churches. And for the last 15 of those years, I preached regularly at the Harrisburg Chinese Alliance Church. During the week, I was in a Peterbilt. And I remember many times as the seasons would change and I'd see the beauty of the colors coming out or the beauty of spring, uh, I thought to myself, it's almost a crime to get paid to ride around in a Peterbilt and see the glory of God manifested in creation. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scenes. After I moved up here and I was hauling mail between Erie and Pittsburgh, I remember going down 79 and seeing uh, trees uh, encrusted with, with ice that just it was like they were crystal trees. Beauty and the glory and the manifestation uh, of the glory of God. Um, I did take the paycheck, appreciated it, but, but it, was, it was really something to ride around and see the manifestation of the power of God in creation. And I realize it's easy for people to be consumed with other things and not even give those things a thought. But if a person does that, they're robbing themselves. <laughs> robbing themselves of the glory of God. Why would I want to miss it? Why would I not want to rejoice in the beauty of creation? It gives glory to him, and it's good for me. It's a wonderful experience. Now, I want to talk a bit about this great sight that Moses said he saw. The King James Version 
says it was a great sight. The New American Standard Bible calls it a marvelous sight. The NIV says it's a strange sight. The Hebrew word is it's a it's a noun meaning sight or appearance or vision, and it could be honestly translated as a spectacle. I'm going to turn aside and see this spectacle. It's not. Its root is the idea of a vision as a means of revealing something. It's like a mirror revealing something. Only in this case, it's not revealing something. It's revealing someone. The bush was not just reflecting something. It was reflecting someone, the presence of God himself. The beauty of God was manifest in the burning bush. And here is a, here's a great difference between godly, godly manifestation and religion in general. Religion attracts our ego. I want, I want something that, that brings me to myself or fulfillment. And I've said for years jokingly, when I've found myself, I haven't found much. I've got to find more than just me. There's got to be more to me than me, and there is. It's the Lord. So there's nothing wrong with self-understanding, but I have to understand more than the self. I've got to get through myself to get to, the, to my maker who made me and crafted me to live for his glory. So religion is all bound up with the self. Godliness is bound up with God and God alone. And there's a song You've heard it probably, God and God alone, which just manifests in beautiful music the things I'm talking about. Portrayal of God as vindictive or prudish or plain is, is the lie of the enemy. That is a big lie. It's the defacing of his character. The beauty of God is made increasingly clear in the coming of Christ. Uh, in John 1, you have the passage that says, uh, he came into the world to declare God or to manifest God. And the expression, he dwelt among us, is a word that could be translated tabernacled. Jesus tabernacled among people to manifest the glory of God. We beheld his glory as, as we saw him. All the tender hymns that are written uh, in our hymnal about the beauty of God only offend people who haven't been arrested by the beauty of God. And so, so the, the, tender, the tender music that we sing, whether it's new music or old music, is simply a manifestation of beauty of God that has arrested hymn writers and scholars over the years. Now, in contrast to this great sight that Moses saw, were the religions of Egypt that he had lived 40 years around. You know that, that the plagues that God unleashed on Egypt, each one was a repudiation of the religious system of Egypt. And God took them one at a time, and unleashed his fury on the false religions 
of Egypt. Frogs are a symbol of sexuality. You want to worship sexuality? Fine. Fill the land with frogs. And as you read the account in Scripture, there were frogs everywhere. Everywhere. Vulgar, degrading, disgusting. Moses was going to build a tabernacle and lead his people in worship. Only their worship was to be characterized not by what is vulgar and crude, but glorious and precious and attractive. So that's the first thing that comes up in the text. He turned aside to see the great sight. And then he asked the question, why? Why is this thing not burning? Why is it not destroyed? And the answer to that is, is that the beauty of God is life-preserving. It's not life-destroying. I have, I have a lot of things I'd like to show you. They're in my garage. When I want some screws, I go down to Bova's and I buy four or six screws at a time because all my screws are in the garage. You're supposed to laugh at that. In June of 2020, we moved to Spartansburg, and everything literally went in the garage. And um, we got, we've gotten a lot of stuff out of the garage, but there are a lot of things in there I can't find yet because we're not fully moved into the house. And the day will come when I find it all. And uh, I've, I've got all kinds of tools and screws and bolts and stuff. And when I, in the old days, I needed something, I'd just go out in the garage and get it. Well, it's in the garage somewhere. I have this beautiful card that Ann told Dorati. When I use names and you, you don't know who these people are, you're free to ask me after service. I'll tell you who they are. Uh, Antoine Dorati uh, drew uh, this uh, this beautiful card. It's a painting, and he he um, he sent it to Paul uh, Traver, who was the conductor of the Mar University of Maryland chorus. And um, this card was a, an advertisement for something. It was just beautiful. And when you hold it up, it, all it is 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 Paper and paint, just paper and paint. But it is beautiful. It is just compelling. It, you just wonder, how could somebody do that? Why, why is it so beautiful? Moses turns aside, he sees this beautiful bush. It's burnt, but it's not being consumed. It's beautiful. Why is this possible? The answer is, God made us in his image. And the reason we have creativity is because our creator made us this way. He made us like himself. And so God is creative and manifests beauty. And we as his children are able to do beautiful things and manifest his glory, whether it's in painting or art or music or science or, or whatever. There's the manifestation through us as the creatures of God using our gifts to honor and glorify him. Well, why am I attracted to beauty? Moses was attracted to this. I'm attracted to it because God made me for himself. He's beautiful. Why wouldn't I be attracted to beautiful things? We're attracted to beauty because God made us for himself. 
and he is beautiful. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 16, talks about all things were made by God and for him. And, and we're part of that. I, w- I was made by God and I was made for him. Beauty attracts us because of the beautiful one who created us. Moses turned aside to see the great sight that he saw because he was made for his maker and he finally was arrested by the presence of God, turned aside. That's why he went there. Now some would object and say, "Ah, this is just a bush. And that's just another point here. It is not only just a bush, it's a thorn bush. If If you check the language, the Hebrew text, it's a thorn bush. You know where thorn bushes are planted? They're planted right in front of oil fills so that whoever delivers the oil, moi, gets his arms all scratched up because the most ugly thing in the world is an oil fill. So all those thorn bushes get right in front. Every time I would get all scratched up on the thorn bushes, I'd think, you know, bush Moses turned aside to see was a thorn bush. You know why it was a thorn bush? It was made... Was, it was a thorn bush because in 2 Corinthians 4, 5 to 7, tells us that we carry the gospel and the glory of God in our broken lives. We're like a broken pot so that the manifestation of the glory of God is of him and not of us. The excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God uses thorn bushes to manifest his presence so that we're crystal clear that the glory isn't the bush. The glory is God who uses the bush. And that the, that the glory of a person isn't of a person. It's the manifestation of the glory of God in the person who God uses to serve his purposes. So the attractiveness of God is is arresting to us. And whatever he uses to manifest his presence causes us to give him glory. There are passages throughout the Bible that talk about worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. 1 Chronicles 16.29, Psalm 29.2, Psalm 96.9. They all end by saying, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We're called to worship God because worship is God's means of restoring glory and beauty to our life. Now, years ago, my district superintendent told me that there was a and in our denomination who, when he really got wound up, he'd stand on one foot when he preached. Uh, I don't know why he did it, but he did it. And he'd stand on one foot. I'm telling you, I'm standing on one foot. I'm wound up about this. I'm cranked up about this. Because worship is one of God's means of restoring beauty and splendor to our own life that we might understand the glory of God on a higher level. I remember hearing some person say in a 
last couple years, put two words together, non-essential worship, and my gears were grinding. Non-essential worship? Don't ever put those two words together. Worship is God's means of restoring beauty to our life. There's a string of verses. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. If God's ways are not attractive to us, there's something wrong with us. Uh, and I won't talk about you, but me. If, if God's ways are not glorious and attractive to me, something wrong with me. I've got to get straightened out in my inner life. Every sermon should have three things, something to know and understand. And I won't put this on you. I'll just talk about my own response to this truth. I know and understand that God is beautiful and his ways and his works attract me to him. I know and understand that. And I believe that God has given us worship as a means of laying hold of his glory and of his beauty and having our lives transformed and changed by the experience of worshiping a beautiful and glorious God. Every sermon should have something to do. And my to-do list would be memorize 1 Chronicles 16, 29. We had this put in the bulletin, both the printed bulletin and the, as an insert and on the digital bulletin that you get on your phone. Memorize 1 Chronicles 16, 29. And you could, when you come to worship, you could, if you haven't memorized it by next week, you can just revive along and read that to prepare your heart to worship the Lord. 1 Chronicles 16, 29. And then on that bulletin insert, there's a, a reading list if you're interested in reading. And uh, Dr. Tozer has written a booklet. It's not a book, it's a booklet. It's called Worship, the Missing Jewel in the Church. It's wonderful. I took a class in my doctoral program where you had to read at least 3,000 pages of collateral reading before you took the class. I don't know how many books that amounted to. Sometimes it depends on the size of the book, but somewhere 15, 18, could be 20 books if some of them were small. 3,000 pages. Every book I read quoted Tozer. I'm staying on one foot now. Every book I read quoted Tozer. And he wrote his observations, I believe, in 1955. Worship the missing jewel in the church. So, saying that is not a fad. And it's not critical of our day. It's just that if the church, whenever we're talking, misses the place of worship in restoring the beauty of God to the lives of God's people, it has missed a, a jewel. So I'd
encourage you to get a copy of that and read it. Let's pray. Father God, uh, you are so loving and gracious to us, inviting us into your presence. There's a lot of people in the world who have no time for us, who would treat us coming to them as an interruption. But you are not this way. You love us, made provision for every need, and we honor you. We say we want to give you the glory that's due your name. We confess you are a good and gracious, attractive and beautiful God, and you have invited us into your family. What a loving thing to do. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.